Well, good morning, church. This is great to be with you this morning. If today is your first time with us, my name is DJ. I'm the associate minister here at the summit. It's no secret I love this time of year. It's in my contract that I get to do the first Sunday of Advent every year. But I find that as my kids, I have four kids, they're nine, seven, five, and three, as they get older, I am discovering that they don't love Christmas as much as I do. And this year, my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, uh, made it known that we do not decorate before Thanksgiving. And if you know me at all, that caused some tension. <laughs> Diana came home from grocery shopping. She brought, she brought home some cereal for the kids. And it was uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but it was gingerbread flavor, which sounds gross. My daughter, Grayson, she literally got up on the counter. She walked away, and as she was walking away, said, I'm done with this. <laughs> I said, little girl, you're going to have to get over that, right? But wherever you fall on that line. We now officially find ourselves in Advent season. And yes, I do love this time of year. I love Christmas, but I love Advent. Advent's a season that has become more out of focus, I feel, in the church over the last several years. And I think partly because we live in a day and age that's more ruled by our busyness and our consumeristic desires than really a desire to reflect and to build anticipation over the coming of Jesus. And what feels like, at least for me, probably for you, a sprint between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Advent, the purpose of Advent is meant to slow us down and to refocus us on that which should be the very foundation, the center of our life. Advent's about waiting. And waiting does very little to the gross domestic product. And so it's my prayer this year as we enter into these next several weeks that we would, not just here on Sunday, but throughout the week, intentionally slow down and refocus on Jesus. Within Advent, there's four foundational pillars that we typically focus on as we build this anticipation to the coming of Christ. They're hope, peace, joy, and love. And as a church, we decided last year that what we wanted to do, rather than just preach on each word within a four-week span, we really wanted to take four years of Advent and focus on one word every year. And so last year we focused on joy, and this year, as you probably put it together, we really want to just steep in hope this Advent season. And so we're going to start that this morning, but before we dive in, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we who have so much to do Lead us to the quiet spaces to hear your voice. We who are anxious over so many things, fix our eyes to your coming. We who are blessed in so many ways, build in us a longing for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy, 
overwhelm us with the joy of your presence. We're your people, walking in darkness, seeking the light. And so to you this morning we say, come Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to ask you this morning, do you find yourself becoming more hopeless or hopeful? Do you find yourself becoming increasingly hopeless or hopeful? This is a question I've personally been wrestling with over the last few weeks, and I've posed this question even to several groups of people within that time, and I've been surprised to find that there's a variety of different answers to that question. And for many of us, if you've been around the summit long, your answer will naturally say, it depends. And as I've been thinking about about that, while typically, yes, that would be the answer that we would generally say you should always respond our questions with, it depends, I think that question is a little different. And so I want to press on us this morning, should it depends really be our answer to this question? Certainly, if your hope is fixated on your finances, your career goals, your political party, your sense of justice, and so on and so forth, then yes, it depends would be an adequate answer. That makes sense. Those are all things that vary. They fluctuate based on any number of different factors. And so I'll say it this way for us this morning as we dive into the season of Advent, how you perceive hope directly affects your experience of hope. How you perceive hope directly affects your experience of hope. And part of why we are doing these deep dives into each of these four pillars of Advent is because you can say that about each one. How you perceive joy, how you perceive peace, how you perceive love will inform how you experience them. And here's what I want to really challenge us this season and in the days and weeks ahead. The problem that we have is we have let culture around us define these words for us. And therefore, we have allowed our culture to define how we experience these four words. Think about that for just a moment. The goal in all of this, the goal this morning, is not to give you a Webster's definition of hope. I looked at it. It's not great. The goal this morning is not to reinforce our culture's idea of hope. In fact, there may be moments in the next several weeks where we need to break apart how culture has told us to experience hope. But my prayer this morning and in the coming weeks is that what we need is to embrace the biblical way of living hope. So, of course, a good way to begin is by defining hope. But not by using the dictionary. Let's look at Scripture. And we'll do that over the next four weeks. We're going to be looking at several different passages, Old and New Testament. But a good place for us to start this morning, actually, is in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24 says this, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope 
in him. My family and I have lived here in the St. Louis area for eight years, and we still haven't figured out the science center. I know that sounds like a weird way to come out of Lamentations, but hang with me just for a second. I remember a field trip in elementary school. Not really a field trip. My dad took me and a couple of friends. My dad lived and grew up just down the highway, Hannibal, Missouri, and so every now and then we'd come up to St. Louis. And I remember he took me and a couple of friends to the Science Center, and I remember it was the most amazing thing I had ever experienced. I remember me and my friends building an arch out of these giant foam blocks. I remember going into the planetarium and seeing amazing galaxies while laying on a cot sipping a juice box. I remember feeling like this place was awesome. Fast forward 25 years or so, and I've been on a quest to try to recreate this experience for my kids, but it isn't working. Twice, we have loaded up our car with four kids to go down to the Science Center, only to find when we got there that it was closed. And I know you're thinking, well, DJ, you got to check the website. I did. They were very much supposed to be open. The first occasion, they had a water line that broke, closed unexpectedly. The second time, they didn't have enough people to work in the Science Center, and they closed unexpectedly. On our third attempt to create this magical moment at the Science Center for my kids, we arrived and we were even granted access into the building. It was a miracle. And I thought how to describe this part of the story to you, and it's really hard since you weren't there, but the only way that I can think to describe it is Diana and I could not figure out how the Science Center worked. All those magical memories that I had, I could not find. So literally, we were there with four kids, and we could not find our way out of a human body exhibit which is a treat in itself with four kids under 10 years old. Why do I tell you that story? Well, the first reason is this. I need somebody to please take us to the Science Center and to be my tour guide and let me know how do you get to the part across the highway because I can't find it. And secondly... And hang with me, I believe that this story actually illustrates some of the ways we tend to view hope. I want to look this morning first at three ways that we use hope. These are three ways that I believe our culture has tried to define how we use hope. And the first thing is this. We view hope as the desire for something good in the future. The desire for something good in the future. Driving down the highway with four kids in tow, I thought, man, I hope my family has a great time. In other words, I desire to pull into the parking lot, to walk up to the doors, and to go inside so that my family and I could experience a good thing, that we could experience a good afternoon. 
Well, the Science Center was closed. So what did we do? Well, in one of our attempts, actually the last attempt, we made our way out of the human body exhibit. My kids were not impressed. Diana and I were not ready for some of the conversations that the Science Center brought up for my kids. So we said, let's go to the zoo. I guarantee you, at least 20% of people that you see at the zoo came from the Science Center because they couldn't figure it out. You ask. But we went to the zoo. We had a great time. We had a great time. But sometimes we view hope as just the desire for something good in the future. Think about it for you for a second. What do you desire in the future? A successful career, a happy life, a healthy marriage, respected family. You can achieve any of those things in any number of ways. But in this view, what happens is our hope gets fixated on the desire for just something good. doesn't necessarily matter how we get there. We may not even know how to get there. We just want something good to happen. You ever felt like that? You're in a season of life and it just literally feels like it's just one negative thing, one bad thing, one hard phone call after another, after another, and you're just sitting there saying, man, I just want something good to happen. And you don't even really care what it is. But the problem with this is it's unstable. When our hope is fixated on something with no certain direction and no known outcome, you get caught in this endless roller coaster of hopelessness and hopefulness depending on how near or far you get to your definition of what's good. A second view that I think our culture really tries to drive home for us is to view hope as the thing in the future that we desire, the thing in the future that we desire. Now, you may be thinking, hey, that sounds a lot like the first thing. It does, but it's different. I'm going to explain to you why. In my simple story, my hope was that the Science Center will be amazing. Right? It's gone from I just hope my family has a good afternoon to I hope the Science Center is amazing. Well, what happens when we get there and it's closed? Or what happens when we get there and the experience isn't what I wanted? When my hope is fixated just on the Science Center, my hope is shattered when the doors are locked. Again, think for you. Maybe you know what that thing is for you. Maybe for you, your, your hope is on something that's less vague than what we talked about a moment ago. Maybe you're hoping for a promotion. Maybe you're hoping for a bonus. Maybe you're hoping for a pregnancy. Maybe you're hoping for a child's salvation. And these are all good things that you can Desire, but the problem, however, is what happens when those things don't become a reality? 
when you get passed on that promotion, when the bonus is a year membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. If you know, you know. But what happens when you fixate your hope on something that may or may not happen? What you're actually doing is you're, you're establishing your footing on something that's very fragile. Because the moment that you find out that that thing is not going to happen, just like that, all of that hope comes crashing down. And there's a, a final view that we tend to look at hope through, and that's the basis or the reasoning for thinking that our, our desire may indeed be fulfilled. The basis or the reasoning for thinking that our desire may indeed be fulfilled. Let me say it another way. Hope can become the anchor to your optimism. Think about that for a second. Hope can become the anchor to your optimism. Diane and I loaded up the kids in the car, and they don't fight. And when you've got four kids, that's a miracle. They're excited for the journey ahead, and everything feels like maybe this is going to be a good day. Parents in here, you ever had days like that? You know what I'm talking about. You get your your kids ready for school in the morning and it's really not that hard. You get them ready for church in the morning and it may even be somewhat enjoyable. Maybe I won't go that far. <laughs> but as a parent, it kind of freaks you out a little bit. Right? You're like, wait a second. What's going on? This isn't going how I typically know it to go. Right? This isn't the struggle that I'm usually aware of. Uh, you can look at that. You, you, maybe you have a really hectic job, and you go in on a day, and it's really not that hectic. You're like, hold on a second. It's funny how those types of things make us feel a little off, right? Like we expect the chaos. And what happens in those moments is we start to have these thoughts, maybe, hopefully, today's going to be a good day. Mizzou fans in here, have you felt like that this season? I have. If you've been watching Mizzou football, I have learned the last several years, I go into Mizzou football season just thinking it's going to be a terrible year. And this year I'm like, hey, wait a second. What's happening? Right? Each game, they come away with another victory. And what happens? I become a little more hopeful. I become a little more hopeful that maybe this season's going to be good. They have one loss. Oh, there it goes. That's it. We're done. Right? But that hope has become an anchor for my optimism, and that anchor gets heavier or lighter depending on what's going on. The problem, though, is optimistic-based hope lacks two vital things, assurance and confidence. The problem is optimistic-based hope, which can be the most uh, sneaky of all three of these views. Optimistic-based hopes is really only based on our desire. And if you've learned anything, sometimes we desire different things. 
But I would argue none of these are the ways that the Bible really sees hope. So let's look real quick at the biblical understanding of hope. Like I said, over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack this through various different passages throughout Scripture. But we say it time and time again from this stage, God looks at things differently. And for that, we should all be grateful. And hope is no exception. And I would say this, biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for God's plan for good in the future. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for God's plan for good in the future. I'll say it this way. Worldly hope lives like this. It's cross your fingers. I hope this is going to happen. There's a million scenarios that I can say that this won't happen, but I really hope none of those work out and this is going to happen. This is how the world would tell you to experience hope. Just cross your fingers and hope for the best. The Bible says different. Godly hope means, hey, expect great things because they're guaranteed. But if you notice, I put in this definition for a reason. It's the desire for God's plan. Prosperity gospel would tell you, hey, expect great things from God because they're guaranteed. If you do good, God will do good for you. But the gospel says, no, expect great things because God's plan is for good and will be accomplished no matter what. Let's look at our passage again from Lamentations 3, but I want to do it a little different. I want to look at it in light of actually the two verses before it. So starting at verse 22, says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, because of everything I just reminded you of, therefore, I will hope in him. See what happens here is something really amazing. If you steep in this passage for even just a little bit, what happens is you begin to understand hope from this perspective. What happens is if you enter into a prayer of God, make this my foundation for hope, what happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes the desire and the object and the basis for your hope. The desire is the presence of God. The Lord is my portion. The object is God's character, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness. The basis is the unchanging quality of God because he never ceases. The difference between biblical hope and all other hope is that all other hope is merely an uncertain uncertain desire for what we want. But God is our hope, is a confident expectation that produces a growing desire for that which God has promised. 
I'll say it this way. Hope, hope in God is not based on what man can do. It's based on God. And so let's get really practical here for a moment because even though understanding the theology of hope is important, unapplied theology is useless. So let's talk about why does this matter? Why does hope matter? There's a part of all this that we haven't talked about yet, but it's really crucial to understand the importance of what we're talking about. The Christian life, by its very design, is a life of faith beyond sight. It's what makes it so hard. But an essential component to living in faith is having hope. I would argue, without hope, you have no faith. Here's why. In biblical terms, faith all through Scripture can focus on what God has done. It can focus on the past. It can focus on the present, what God is doing. And faith can also focus on the future, that which God is going to do. And biblically, I would say hope is faith in future tense. Hope is focusing on what God has said he will do in the future. It is a component, it is an aspect of faith. In the book of Romans, the word hope occurs 15 different times and it's connected with the believer's perseverance through all these different experiences uh, of faith. I just want to read some of them real quick. They're going to be on the screen. But it says this, hope sustains us when the odds appear against us. Hope produces joy because it looks beyond the immediate circumstances to a promise from God. Hope overcomes disappointment because there is knowledge of God's love no matter what. Hope gives us a certain expectation now as we wait for the future of our salvation to come. Hope is fed by the word of God, filling us with his testimony about himself as we apply it and trust it each day of our lives. Notice what's happening here. Hope is the eyes of the future. Hope is assurance of what God will do. We sang it just a little bit ago, and I was sitting there. I didn't know we were going to do this song, and it all just kind of connected with me. Hope is believing in God as the way maker. That even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when everything seems like it's working against us, hope says, I don't know how, but God's going to make a way. Why? Because that's who he is. And we begin to understand how countercultural this idea is. It's not just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Church, faith is clinging with both hands to the promises of God, knowing that what God says will happen will happen, no matter what. So why is it a pillar of Advent? Because Jesus came to be with us. 
Because Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is the living hope. He's the living proof that God who has done great things, that God who is doing great things, is the same God who will do great things. I heard it said this way. Jesus was the answer to our prayers for salvation and hope is our amen. Hope is our amen. Hope is us saying, so be it. Because God is faithful. Because he's true to his character. Because he's unchanging. The promises that he has made us for his good will come to pass. The Lord is our portion. Therefore, we have hope. So let me go back to where we started. You find yourself becoming more hopeless or hopeful. Friends, I, I pray that as we continue to walk in this lifestyle of repentance and faith, believing and becoming the gospel, that our answer to this vital question becomes less it depends. But I pray that it becomes more grounded, more secure in the steadfast love, the unceasing mercy, the great faithfulness of God who has done, is doing, and will do everything that he says. Let's pray. Well, God of hope, we seek you. God, during this holy season of Advent, God, help us to see you. God of hope, remind us that in the darkness of a crude manger, a child was born to save the world. So God, we ask, may your hope be a comfort in our longing for justice. May your hope fill our hearts in the empty satisfactions of this world. And may your word your promises, your guarantees be on our minds. And may they live in our hearts so that we may reflect your hope for all the world. God, because Jesus is God with us, we say in his name, amen.